Well, good morning, church. We have had a lot of uh, things canceled this past year, haven't we? And I know uh, some of us, our family included, has been struggling with uh, whether we'd get together with any of our family over Christmas, and it's just difficult. School, church, sports activities, trips, uh, family visits, it seems like, well, pretty much everything. Well, the name of this series is Christmas Isn't Canceled. Of course, how you do Christmas, uh, who you are with at Christmas, and some of your traditions around Christmas may be canceled or modified, but not the focus of Christmas, nor the purpose of Christmas. Church, Christmas isn't canceled. Now, as we've gone through this emotionally walloping year, I've noticed something uh, ever more clearly, and that is that the Bible is written very consistently from a viewpoint of those struggling with cancellations of all types. That is discouragement and oftentimes a lack of hope. It's in the midst of the dark and difficult situations where God's Word really shines. And the book of Isaiah that we'll be talking about today is a great example. The Israelites had not yet been taken into captivity, but they were falling apart as a nation, experiencing increasing opposition from the Assyrians, They uh, felt threatened by these enemies, and they felt their better days were behind them. They felt abandoned. They felt ambivalent about their own God and their own faith in God. It was an overcast and cloudy time, one might say, filled with cancellations. And there was little indication that the conflicts would end very favorably for them. And this is all outlined, of course, in the early parts of the book of Isaiah. I want to read a couple sections of scripture from Isaiah chapter 8, because here's how bad it had gotten. Our text in Isaiah 8, beginning in verse 19, says this. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists, who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? You see how they're in the midst of their own belief systems and their own struggles with doubts and what is going on in their world? And the text goes on, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning." If anyone who does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. You see, darkness had encroached around the people. And then the text says in verse 21, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king, and their God. Then they will look toward the earth, and they will see only distress and darkness, 
and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Now, I don't know how you're feeling today, but that passage reaches so low that you might be cheery at this moment by comparison. Well, see, that was chapter 8. And now God speaks through Isaiah in chapter 9 with a stunning reversal in outlook. And the contrast between chapters 8 and 9 could not be more vivid. Isaiah 9 becomes a message that the people of God would latch onto like children waiting for Christmas. You see, hundreds of years, in fact, almost 700 years from the time that Isaiah wrote and made this prophecy until Jesus becomes the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic words. And what is amazing is that we now get to look back with astonishment as God's word became true in Jesus and giving us then a lasting hope and confidence not only for their future, but for our future, our future with him. You see, instead of darkness and gloom in Judah, here's what we hear in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. The text says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You see, God will enlighten those in darkness by bringing a new light to them. And even though they did not earn it, they did not deserve it, God initiates His grace upon them. And as we read that passage in 9-2, we might recall some New Testament passages, like the light came shining in the darkness from John's Gospel, or Jesus is the light of the world. And of course, believers see Jesus the Messiah as the one who Isaiah is talking about. And in fact, this passage in Isaiah 9 is fulfilled directly and uh, and comprehensively in so many ways by Christ's life on earth. In fact, the first few verses of chapter 9 are quoted in Matthew chapter 4 and verses uh, 15 and 16 uh, when Jesus began his public ministry. And I just want to call our attention to a couple of verses there in that section in Matthew 4. It says this, When Jesus heard that that John had been put in prison... He withdrew to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, which are referenced here in Isaiah 9. And then the text says in Matthew, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And then Matthew goes on to quote a large section of Isaiah 9. You see, the Gospel of Matthew, or we could say it another way, the life of Christ fits like a glove with this prophecy in Isaiah 9. Spelling out that this light that was to come into the world is our Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is Isaiah's description of the great light, and I want you to get these two verses, Isaiah 9 and 6 and 7. And they'll be somewhat familiar to us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. You see, suddenly the prophet sees the future that God will bring. And what a contrast that is to the gloom and doom that's going on in Judah. And if you can get the picture, the shift is so magnificent. It is so beautiful that as we read it, it's hard not to be touched. Even very deeply with emotion, even blown away, if you will, by these words. And this section of Isaiah 9, it begs to be sung. Though I'll spare you this morning. I do have an idea, though, and that is uh, that you uh, memorize and meditate on verses 6 and 7 this week. And particularly, I would love for you to mull over the titles. Did you notice the titles in verse 6? There were four of them. And each title is composed of two Hebrew words that are put together. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I was describing to Becky what I was going to do with this particular lesson, and she said, slow down. Say those again. Repeat those. I want to get those in my mind. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Now, what was the first of the four titles? Wonderful Counselor. You see, later in the book of Isaiah, we're told that the Lord God has done wonderful things. Same word, Isaiah 25 and verse 1. And that he is wonderful in counsel. Isaiah 28 and 29. In fact, that verse reads, All this comes from the Lord Almighty. Wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. Now, I love the work of Christian Family Services. However, this counselor is different from a therapist. Some translations, in fact, for the word counselor say extraordinary advisor, though I would say there are some of those at Christian Family Services, but literally a wonder of a counselor. This is an extraordinary counselor, or perhaps a better way of saying it is a counselor of wonders. 
one who counsels in an amazing way. And what I mean by that is in the ancient world, a counselor, often the king, devised plans to win military victories. The wonderful counselor is filled with wisdom to make the right decisions for the people. The wonderful counselor is a strategist for life. I thought uh, another description for wonderful that might capture the essence, we might say it this way. Here's a suggestion. When you see that God's plans are revealed through this child, the wonderful counselor, maybe you could simply say, wow, just wow. Have you ever said in response and reaction to something? Of course you have. Wow. He is the wow counselor. That is what our text is trying to tell us. Now, it was in in the summer of, uh, hmm, forgotten the year, but I think it was uh, 1674, that a 56-year-old composer was suffering from poor health following a stroke, and was in uh, bad financial shape, and was at the low point of his musical career, and he felt discouraged and in need of hope. And he had been reading a great deal from the book of Isaiah, And his mind then being filled with Scripture in order to overcome all the adversity that he was feeling, he set out to write music that would capture the hopefulness of these texts. 24 days later, George Frederick Handel had finished Messiah, known as today as Handel's Messiah. It is inspired. The most famous piece is the jubilant Hallelujah Chorus. However, the 12th song of the first movement captures the exuberant joy and hope of this section of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. I hope this week, in fact, that you'll listen to Handel's Messiah, and be blessed, and hear those four titles repeated, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, during his time on earth, Jesus demonstrated his wisdom as the counselor again and again. Think of how many encounters in the Gospels speak to his wonderful counsel. He always knew what to say, when to reach out to a seeking heart, when to ask a penetrating question, when to rebuke a rebellious spirit, even to the point where his enemies testified, remember John chapter 7, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. Now, you and I can see in the Gospels what the prophet Isaiah 
could only see in pictures and in poetry. We turn to the Gospels and we can see the personality of God in the flesh in Jesus Christ, the wild counselor. And I could only this week, as I thought about that again, say, Lord, forgive me for taking you for granted, for failing to appreciate your wisdom, your wonder. In these times of need, when you need hope and when you face discouragement and when you are ready for Christmas to come, I want you to know that your hope is not a vague notion. Your hope is not just wishful thinking. Your hope is not just looking on the sunny side of things, though it helps at times, or giving yourself a pep talk. Have you had to do that in the last few days or weeks or months? I know I find myself doing that. But the hope we're talking about is much more. Your hope isn't relegated to simply enduring today or grinding through or saying, well, I hope tomorrow comes and it will be better or 2021 will be a better year. No, Isaiah says it this way. Your hope has a name. What an idea that we can choose by faith each day and many times per day from moving to thinking that hope is an idea to recognizing that it is more than an idea and it's more than a wish and it's more than an attitude. It's even more than our outlook. It includes all of these, but that our, our hope is in recognizing it is in the person of Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor. A week or two ago, I heard a story about a woman who was reaching out to her brother, who was a person of faith. And she asked him, and she said to him, you know, I, I, it, I've never been a very spiritual, religious person. And I've been away from my faith for a long time. How do I begin to renew my connection to God? And her brother answered, I want you to do this one simple spiritual practice. I want you to wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, Jesus. The woman, woman went off and she did this, and she said, Within 10 days or a couple of weeks, her life was far different. My recommendation for this week is to try it, and maybe try it in this form. Wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, wonderful counselor. Good morning. Wow, counselor, can you do that? I beg you to, and provide some feedback. Let's see what happens. Church, 
Christmas isn't canceled. Your hope has a name.